Well, good morning. Good to see you guys this morning. Now, this morning we are continuing in the parables of Jesus. We are in Matthew chapter 18, and we'll be looking at verses 21 through 35 this morning. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35 this morning. We've been working through the parables of Jesus for the last several weeks. Um, and I don't know about you, but I've really enjoyed studying for these uh, parables. Hopefully you've been, enjoyed uh, the messages as much as I've enjoyed actually studying for these and, and really diving in and learning, you know, how does this fit within the context of the chapter? How does this fit within the context of Jesus's ministry and, and what he wants us to pull from these parables? And this morning we're going to look at the unforgiving servant. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. And then we will we'll dive into today's message. God, we thank you for this day and this opportunity to gather together uh, as your church, Lord. And God, we ask that you would help us as we walk through this parable this morning, that you would help us to understand uh, you better, that you would help us to under, understand ourselves better. And God, you might allow us to apply this text to our life both individually and, and corporately as a church. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how do you know that you're a Christian? You know, that, that, that's a simple question, but people answer it in many different ways. They may say they're a Christian because they walked an aisle or they said a prayer one day. Others, may, others will look to the time they went forward at, at children's or even at youth camp. Still others may say they're a Christian because they attend church each week. They serve as a deacon. They teach a Sunday school class. They may even say, well, it's because I, I give to the church on a regular basis. These are all activities that, that Christians certainly do, but are they the activities that we should look to for assurance of salvation? You see, non-believers, they, they can do all of these activities as well. It's possible to walk an aisle, to say a prayer, to go forward at a, as a child or as a youth, to attend church, to give to the church, even to teach Sunday school and to work your way into church leadership and not be a believer in Christ. If both Christians and non-Christians can do these activities, well, what is another action or an activity that we should look to to see if we are truly believers in Christ for assurance of our salvation? Well, in verse 21, Peter comes to Jesus and asks Him a question. And he says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Well, before we look to Jesus' answer, we need to understand, well, what is it that prompted Peter's question here? Why is, why is Peter coming to Jesus here in verse 21 and asking this question? What prompted Peter's question? Well, in the previous section, Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20, Jesus, he, he teaches about reconciliation. Specifically, Jesus teaches us how we are supposed to be reconciled with one another. He tells us that, that if someone sins against us, well, what we are to do is we are to, we are to go to them and we are to tell them, hey, you have, you have hurt me. If they don't listen, then we are to bring two or three witnesses back with us and, and we are to have another conversation with them. And those witnesses are there as witness to the conversation that we are having, maybe even to, to speak into the conversation as well. If they still don't listen, well, Jesus says we are to go and we are to tell it to the church. And the church is then supposed to go and call them to repent and to be reconciled to their brother. If they still don't listen, we are to treat them as an outsider, as a 
non-believer. These are the steps that Jesus outlines for us in Matthew 18, 15 through 20. The process that Jesus lays out teaches us that, that forgiveness and reconciliation, these things really matter to God. It matters so much so that He provides step-by-step instructions as to how we are to seek reconciliation with one another and what it means if a person refuses to reconcile with another brother or sister in Christ. They show themselves to be non-believers. And Jesus' teaching on reconciliation then is, is what prompts Peter's question. It is, it's obvious uh, reconciliation and forgiveness are important to God, but, but Peter wants to know, well, how many times should I forgive someone? They sin against us. We, we go to them. We tell them what has happened, how they have sinned against us. They repent, but, but not too long after that happens, they sin against us again. And, and we repeat the process over and over and over with the same outcome, except that, that nothing ever changes. The person continues to sin against us, and we will continue to forgive them. Peter wants to know, well, well Jesus, when can we break this cycle? When can we quit this process? Is, is seven times enough? I mean, certainly that seems generous. The rabbis of this day taught that that three times is what you were required to do. And here, Peter is up in the ante, and he's saying not three times, but, but seven times. Is this, is this enough? Is this generous enough for me to break this cycle? When is enough enough, Jesus? Look what Jesus has to say in verse 22. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Essentially, Jesus says, no, Peter, you're thinking about this all wrong. Uh, seven times, yes, it, it, is, it is generous, but, but it's not enough. You are to be extravagantly generous with your forgiving. I mean, talk about, talk about up in the ante here. And just so you know, when, when Jesus says 70 times seven, he, he doesn't mean that that's, that's what you're supposed, that, that's all you're supposed to go to, right? He, he means that you are to keep on forgiving. You are to keep on seeking to win your brother. As long as he will listen, as long as there's repentance in this process, as long as you can gain him back, you are to keep working. You're to keep seeking reconciliation. And to drive that idea home, Jesus makes an interesting connection to the Old Testament account of Lamech. If you remember, Lamech decreed that if anyone would harm him, he would be avenged 77 Fold, a ten times increase from the vengeance God decreed would happen to Cain's enemies in Genesis chapter 4. And one commentator picks up on Jesus' connection. He says, The unlimited revenge of primitive man has given place to the unlimited forgiveness of Christians. In other words, Christians are supposed to be extravagant in their forgiving, as Lamech was extravagant in seeking vengeance. There should be no limit to their forgiving. Now, I know what, what you're probably thinking here. I mean, that, that sounds all a bit extreme. There has to be some sort of breaking point. You can't keep going on in this endless cycle forever. I mean, why would I do that? How can I keep doing that? And that's where Jesus is going with today's parable. He's going to tell us why we should continue to forgive. He's going to tell us how we can continue to forgive. And the why and the how reveal how we can know that we are assured of our salvation. So let's get into the parable. As we get into the parable, we need to come to terms with what it means to forgive. And so, what does it mean to forgive someone? Look at verses 23 and 24. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, 
One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now the parable, it presents us with this scenario, right? There's this king, he, he's lent out some money to some people in, in his kingdom, and he decides, well, it's time to settle up on some debts. We're not, we're not told how long these debts have been out there, just that the king is ready to settle up on some debts. And so the king calls these servants to himself and he says, hey, let, let's settle up. I'm, I'm, ready to get, I'm ready to get paid here. Now, nobody knows how much notice is given. I mean, maybe he gave them, you know, plenty of time. Or, or maybe he just decided that morning, hey, at lunchtime, I want these servants to come to me and they better have my money. We, we, don't, we don't really know. But it seems like enough time has passed on his perspective where he's like, I'm ready to fill my coffers back up. Now, this was good for the king, but, but it wasn't good for the servants because it was time to pay up and especially wasn't good for one of the servants. You see, that's because this one guy, he owed 10,000 talents. Now, in today's terms, that would be like 9 to $12 billion. 9 to $12 billion this guy owes the king. How, how he got in this amount of debt, I have no idea. Um, why this guy kept lending to him, I have no idea. But he owes him 9 to $12 billion an amount this guy could never, ever pay back. You see, most people only made a denarii for one day's work. 6,000 denarii equaled one talent, and, and this guy owed 10,000 talents. And so doing the math, I'm a, pa- I'm, a, I'm a pastor, not a math person. You should have seen Ryan and I trying to hang up these pictures out here, doing some math on all of that. But, uh, but the best calculation I can come up with, 200,000 years it would take for this guy to earn enough money without feeding his family to pay off this debt. Clearly something that could never, ever, ever be done. And so what is this king going to do? And he has a servant who has no hope of paying him back. What does he do? Look at verse 25. Since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. Now, hearing that his family is about to be sold, this, this servant, verse 26, fell on his knees. He, he imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. I mean, clearly this guy's over-promising. There's no way this guy is ever going to be able to pay off a nine to $12 billion debt, 200,000 years of wages. He is over-promising, but this guy's desperate, right? He's, he'll say anything, right? He doesn't want to be sold into slavery. He doesn't want his family to be sold into slavery. And so he's desperate. He will say anything and he he pleads and he begs with the king please have patience with me exercise grace and mercy on me and what does the king do well, look at verse 27 out of pity for him the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt i mean talk about an amazing day i mean winning the lottery is great but man this guy really won the lottery i mean this, this king, he felt compassion for this man. He, his compassion led him to forgive this debt. I mean, imagine that. You owe somebody $9 billion. You could never, ever pay this debt off. You plead with them, and they exercise grace and mercy on you, and they just outright cancel your debt. Imagine that happening. One minute you're at risk of your entire life being turned upside down. You're a slave. But the next moment, you're free. And that is just simply amazing. And the king's actions teach us what it means to forgive. You see, when we forgive someone, what we are actually doing is we are, we are absorbing the debt of that person, the debt that that person owes us. 
we're taking their debt upon themselves. Someone has to pay the debt, right? Somebody's got to pay this nine to twelve billion dollars. And in this instance, the king decides, I'm going to take that debt on myself. I'm going to forego the nine billion dollars that this servant owes me. And that's a lot of money. You can buy a lot of things. You can run the kingdom for a long time with uh, that kind of money. But the servant says, you know what? Or the king says, you know what? I'm, I'm going to I'm going to take that debt on myself. I'm going to find another way to run the kingdom or I'm just going to forget about it and do the best that I can with the money that, that I currently have. You see, when, when we forgive someone, we absorb the debt that they owe us. And once we absorb it, we, we absorb it. We, we stop rehearsing what happened in our minds. We stop talking about it to other people. We stop being angry and resentful at that person. We stop seeking revenge. To forgive means we cancel the debt the other person owes us, whether that debt be money, position, status, or pain. Whatever that debt might be, we cancel it. We keep no records of wrong, as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, it's here that we've got to use some wisdom. See, forgiveness and ultimately reconciliation revolves around repentance. And in the section before today's parable, Jesus is teaching us to seek reconciliation. And we walked through those steps a few moments ago. Reconciliation revolves around gaining our brother, or, or as other translations may say, you have, maybe you're reading from the NIV, it, it may say you have won your brother over in the previous section. Winning over or gaining someone back um, involves us coming to an agreement that, that they have wronged us and maybe an agreement that, that we have wronged them as well. Likewise, it also may mean that, that we come to realize that, that we have wronged them. When, we, when they repent, we repent. We both seek not to wrong each other in the same way. Again, the relationship has been restored, and, and that's great. That's exactly what is supposed to happen as you walk through those steps of reconciliation. But I say we have to use some wisdom and be cautious here because a lot of people, they just want to sweep another person's sin underneath the rug. They, they want to forget about it. They want to move on like nothing has ever happened. Certainly, that is part of the forgiving process, right? We don't hold another person's sin against us. We forgive their debt. We allow the relationship to move on. But, but what I'm afraid of is that we're often quick to claim forgiveness, not for the sake of the offending brother or sister, but, but for our own sake. You see, we, want, we don't want to do the hard work of seeking reconciliation. We don't want to go to another person who has offended us and, and seek to win them back. We don't want to take two or three people with us as witnesses to speak into their life as well. We don't want to have to tell it to the church. All of that stuff is super messy. All of that stuff requires a lot of emotional energy. That requires a lot of work on our part. We would rather not have to deal with any of that. And I believe that's why there's a lot of churches that are not healthy, right? They're, they're not willing to deal with with conflict. They would rather just sweep the conflict underneath the rug because that is easy. But, but that's not what Jesus tells us to do, is it? No, he, he tells us that we are to seek reconciliation with other people. And when we or the church stop short of the process Jesus outlines for us there in Matthew 18, 15 through 20, we not only do the offended party a disservice, but we also do the offender a dis disservice. When the church is not willing to walk out the steps of of reconciliation or what maybe you might refer to as church discipline, but I like the, the term reconciliation better because this is actually what has taken place here. 
It ends up leaving things in limbo. It makes it hard for the church to operate in a unified way. It tarnishes the reputation of the church and the community. It, it hinders the church's mission. It ultimately does not glorify God. Not only that, but when the, when the church stops short, the church allows the offender to deceive themselves to thinking what they did was right and good, that, that they are not in sin. While that might be easy, it's really not what is best for the person. I mean, imagine this. Imagine your child decides that they want to buy a car. And you know that that car is a lemon. You know that car is going to break down as soon as they drive it off of the lot. But for whatever reason, your child has decided, hey, I want to purchase that car. I'm going to spend all of my hard-earned money, all of, my, all of the time that I've spent working down at one of the fast food restaurants and saving up money for, for all of these years. I'm you know, 16, 17 years old now. I'm, I've got my license. I'm ready to drive. If you saw something like that unfolding behind, before your eyes, you, you would tell them. Right? You, you, you would tell them so that they would not make the purchase, so that they would not continue to be deceived about the reality of that car. And that's exactly what we are to do. We are to do that because we love them. Just like you love your child, you would tell them that this car is not what you think it is. Like, let's go find something else. I know you've got your heart set on it, but but you're being deceived about this. This person is not being honest with you. You would tell them. And for the same reason, the church should continue to walk out the steps of reconciliation with the person because they love them, just as we love our own children. When it comes to the idea of forgiveness, you have to use wisdom. We have to be cautious. We can't just sweep a major sin under the rug because it's something easy to do. Doing so, actually doesn't, doing so doesn't result in true forgiveness. When you have done that, and I'm sure that you have, when you've, when you've swept someone else's sin under the rug, instead of confronting them, and in most instances, you have really not forgiven them. Maybe there's this surface-level peace that is taking place, but, but deep down, if you're really honest with yourself, there, there's a heart of bitterness. There's a heart of resentment. There's a desire for revenge. There's a debt that is still there that you believe that they owe to pay. It hasn't been forgiven. It hasn't been canceled. It, it still exists. That's why Jesus teaches on the subject of reconciliation before He teaches on the subject of forgiveness. That's why Jesus outlines the steps of reconciliation before this parable on forgiveness. He knows that we must seek reconciliation with someone in order to truly extend forgiveness to another. Yes, reconciliation can be much more difficult. It can be emotionally costly. It can be taxing. It can be hard. It can be messy. But, but it's not an option that Jesus has really given us. It's a command that He gives us. We are to seek reconciliation as a means to extend forgiveness. Forgiveness is canceling the debt that someone owes. It's laying it aside. It is absorbing that debt ourselves. Jesus tells us we are to do that 70 times Seven, we are to be extravagant with our forgiveness, just as this king was extravagant with his. And as Christians, we can be extravagant forgivers because we have been forgiven extravagantly. Amen. You see, we are the servant, and God is the king. We owe God a debt that we could never pay back. It doesn't matter if we were able to work for millions and millions and millions of years. We could never do enough to repair our own relationship with the Father. We can never do enough to pay the debt that we owe. 
but we can stand forgiven. And why is that? Why can we stand forgiven with the Father? Well, it's because God has absorbed the debt against us. You see, Jesus, who is the Son of God, He is the King. He, he left His heavenly throne room. He came to earth. He lived as a man, a perfect man, not deserving any sort of punishment at all. And He went to the cross and He willingly absorbed the debt that we owe. You see, the wages of sin is death. And Jesus willingly died in our place and He suffered the holy wrath of the Father in our place. And because Jesus absorbed our debt, we can live as free men and women. And not only that, but, but we can actually live as sons and daughters of God. We can be adopted into God's family. We can enjoy all of the privileges of the Son. And that is that's simply amazing, right? That, that, and that should draw us to God. It should cause us to praise and, and glorify Him. Not only as a means to pay Him back for this, this debt that, that we owe Him, right? Because remember, we can never pay this debt back, right? Jesus is not coming as a secondary creditor that we owe. He's our Savior. He's the one who cancels our debt for us. He, he absorbed it. He canceled it so that we can enjoy all of the benefits of sonship. And that is simply amazing. The forgiveness we receive in Christ should not only cause us to praise and worship Him, but the forgiveness we receive in Christ should also spur us on to forgive others. I like what one author says, Jerry Bridges, regarding forgiveness. The basis of our forgiving one another then is the enormity of God's forgiveness of us. We are to forgive because we have been forgiven so much. When we look at it like that, our neighbor's offenses against us are, are next to nothing compared with our offenses against God. The forgiveness we experience should cause us to forgive others. But what if we can't forgive others? What if we are unwilling to forgive? What does an unforgiving spirit tell us about ourselves? Well, Jesus answers that in the second half of the parable. Look at verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. And this man's actions are almost un unreal to us, right? I mean, this guy has been forgiven a debt of nine billion dollars. A debt that he could never pay. And he goes to this guy, he starts choking him and screaming at him because he owes him a hundred denarii. One hundred days wage. Certainly this guy could have paid back this debt with enough time. And what does this man do with the debt? Well, the same thing the servant did. His fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He, he pleads for mercy. He pleads for time. He pleads for God's... He, he, ple he pleads for this man's grace. Excuse me. And just like the first servant did with the king. And you would think that that would prompt this man to remember how much this king had just forgiven him. How he was going to be a slave. Him and his whole family were going to be sold into slavery. You would think that that would prompt that conversation that he just had with this man. With this king who forgave his debt. And he would be gracious and merciful to this servant and forgive him the debt that he owed. But that's not, that's not what happens. Look at verse 30. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. 
Instead of exercising mercy and compassion that this king had just done on him, he threw this man in prison, essentially forcing his family to pay the debt for him because this man can't work while he is in prison. I mean, what a, what a, what a hard-hearted thing to do. He's just been forgiven this insurmountable debt, a debt that he could never, ever pay, and he's not willing to let a hundred denarii slide or even give this guy time to pay a debt that he certainly could have paid if, if he had time to do so. It's obvious that the king's compassion was not contagious, that he learned nothing from the king's act of grace, and this bothered some of his fellow servants. And seeing this, they were angry, they were grieved at the situation, and they, they go to the king, rightfully so, and they, they report what had just happened. You know, that guy that you forgave all that debt to? Just choked this guy out and threw him in prison for a hundred denarii. And what did the king do? Well, the king reinstituted the debt and turned him over to the torturers until he could pay all, 32 to 34. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not have had mer- and should you should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And because of his unforgiveness, he was turned over to be tormented until he could pay this debt. And Jesus finishes with this line of explanation in verse 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And Jesus is saying, look, you can go ahead and hold that grudge. You can go ahead and, and resent that, that person who is trying to seek reconciliation with you. You can go ahead and be unforgiving. But know that, that, that if you aren't forgiving, your unforgiveness proves that you aren't a child of God. Your unforgiveness proves that you have not been forgiven. You see, those who, who truly have been forgiven, they truly understand, and, and those who have truly experienced the mercy and grace and the forgiveness of God will be forgiving people. They won't hold forever grudges against someone who is seeking reconciliation with them. They will not seek vengeance. They will be willing to not only go and, and seek to gain their brother, as Jesus tells us to do in Matthew 18, 15 through 20, but, but they will also be willing to extend forgiveness to others. So how do you know if the grace and mercy of God has touched your life? How can you be assured of your salvation? We opened with that question. Well, you can look at your life and you can see, are you truly a forgiving person? To, to forgive someone repeatedly, to forgive an insurmountable debt, requires that your heart be changed by the gospel. It requires that your heart be worn by the compassion and grace and mercy of God. And so are you a forgiving person? And I'm not talking about a sweep it under the rug type of forgiving person who's still holding a debt against the other person. I'm talking about a truly forgiven, forgiving person. If you are, you can be assured of your salvation. You can be assured of your place in the kingdom. You see, forgiven people are forgiving people. If you happen to be having trouble forgiving someone of, of, what they, of their sin against you, we'll, we'll meditate on the grace and, and mercy of God. Allow the God's grace and mercy and the forgiveness that you have experienced to warm your heart. Allow that compassion that God had on you to leave His heavenly throne room, to come as a king, and to be killed on your behalf. Allow that to warm your heart towards forgiving others. If 
you need to seek reconciliation in order for forgiveness to be real, allow the reconciling actions of God to spur you on to seek reconciliation with others. Jesus left His throne so that He might win reconciliation for us. Allow that to spur you on to seek reconciliation with others. And church, don't leave the process of reconciliation undone. Do your part. Help to bring about reconciliation and forgiveness using the process that Jesus provides for us. The glory of God and the salvation of others is, is worth the difficulty. You see, forgiven people are forgiving people. And forgiven peop forgiving people are assured of their salvation. And that's how you can respond today. You can respond today by seeking forgiveness and reconciliation. By functioning in the way that the Lord has, has called you to function, whether that be as an individual or whether that be as a church at large. And if you aren't a believer here today, if you aren't a believer and you're, you're watching online today, know that, that Jesus Himself has come. He has come to win your reconciliation, to win your forgiveness by giving of Himself. Something that we could never do, something that we could never pay Jesus back, but something that is freely offered to us, to those who believe in Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior. And so today, if, if you're not a believer in Christ, today is an opportunity for you to turn to Jesus, to believe in Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, and to experience reconciliation with the Father, to experience forgiveness, to experience life, as an adopted son or daughter of God. That's how we can respond today. I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer. Nathan and the team are going to come and they're going, they going to lead us in a time of response. Take this time to respond. Whether you be a believer or whether you be a non-believer, take this time to respond to this message, to turn to Jesus. God, we thank You for this day. We thank You for Your Word. God, we thank You for how Your Word challenges us at times, how Your Word encourages us, God, how Your Word gives us assurance of salvation, Lord, all in, all in one passage. God, we ask, Lord, that we would be a people who truly seek reconciliation. We would be a people who are truly forgiven, that we would recognize the forgiveness that we have been extended. And that would warm our hearts to others. Lord, if there is someone here or someone watching online who hasn't experienced Your forgiveness, God, Lord, we ask that You might work in their life now. That You might draw them to Yourself. That they might profess faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior today. That they might experience the forgiveness that You have won for us by sacrificing Yourself on our behalf. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.